Amen. Well, tonight I want to uh, speak a very, uh, very, very, very personal word tonight. And, uh, and I hope that I'll be able to preach this message tonight without crying. It's extremely personal. But um, back in October of last year, uh, Becky and I found ourselves making a very quiet drive to a memorial service. And we knew that memorial service was going to be a really, really tough one because our 29-year-old niece had died. And we weren't sure if she was in heaven. And that would weigh heavy on anybody's shoulders, but that weighed so, so heavy on my shoulders because I am a missionary evangelist and I just could not for the life of me believe that we had let her slip into eternity without giving her a clear, clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus. But the truth is, we hadn't. And so tonight, you know, and, and uh, her death was not unexpected. Uh, she had been diagnosed with, with stage four cancer. And I felt like that I had failed her in the most tragic way of all. And we went into that memorial service with our pockets stuffed with Kleenex because we knew we were going to bawl our eyes out. And we did. You've never seen so much snot. And so, uh, you know, there were some mitigating circumstances with our niece or our relationship with our niece of why that maybe have happened, but I still didn't think it was an excuse. But my sister uh, had put her up for adoption from birth, and she went to another family. And we had extremely limited contact. Her name is Destiny, by the way. And uh, we had extremely limited contact with Destiny uh, when she was a young girl. We got a few school pictures here and there. Uh, we had a few cursory visits with her in her childhood. So we never really got to know her that well as a child. But then, you know, she grew up. And when she turned 18 and became a young adult, uh, we got to know her a little bit. We got close to her. And we began to visit with her more often. And what a, a beautiful person she had become. She just had just the sweetest little nature. Just so sweet, and we, we loved her dearly. Uh, we didn't, she wasn't somebody that we saw that often. We only saw her maybe two or three times a year. But we loved her. And now here we were sitting at her memorial service, 29 years old. And, um, you know, even though she was sweet, very sweet, sweeter than all of you, I hardly ever met anybody in my life as sweet as little Destiny. But you know, even though she was sweet, just like all the rest of us, she wasn't perfect. 
And even as a teenager, she had a baby out of wedlock. And then another, and then another. In quick succession, all three little boys, little boys. And so, and there was a, I guess a father, in, but not much in the picture. And uh, he seemed to be not in the picture when we were ever around. And so as a young single mother, she struggled financially. She worked hard. She worked at different places and worked very hard, but she could not make ends meet. And Becky and I tried to help at different times. And I remember there were times when we bought diapers and different things. And uh, there were a lot of little birthday parties for those boys. And we got to give them some presents and try to bless her and Every now and then we'd get to take Destiny out to eat just by, by herself a little bit, very short visits. One time we even gave her a car because her car kept breaking down all the time. So we just, we had a car and it wasn't beautiful and perfect, but we just gave it to her and we wanted to help her in her life. But you know, with the hustle and bustle of three little boys running around, there just never seemed to be those quiet deep conversations and so we never uh, told her in a profound and deliberate way how to be saved she knew we were Christians of course she knew we prayed for her but here's the truth of the matter she was only in her 20s she was only in her 20s and we thought we had plenty of time And then, um, but you know, we were just, but right in the middle of, uh, but the sad thing is we were wrong. We didn't have plenty of time with destiny. And so right in the middle of all the crazy COVID lockdown stuff, we found out via social media that she'd been diagnosed with stage four cancer. And of course, it was a weird, awkward time for all of us. And now she was on chemo. And you know, we didn't know, what do, what, what do we do? What do we do? We felt like uh, we're probably not allowed to see her. I don't know. It's lockdown and all the rules. And we just didn't know what to do. Uh, she would post reports on Facebook all the time of, going through chemo and she seemed, uh, seemed to be holding her own and seemed to be very, thought things were going well and we assumed she was doing okay uh, from our, and I, I don't know, maybe she was just trying to be positive. But then all of a sudden she just went downhill over a cliff and we were blown away. We thought she was doing okay with her treatments and holding her own, and she just went over the cliff. And so, uh, so then we masked up and went to the hospital to see her, but she'd gone so far down so quickly, and the pain medications, she was completely unconscious. And I wound up in the room along with her, and I didn't know what to do, and, you know, I've heard... People tell me that sometimes a person can be seemingly unconscious, 
on medicine, but they can still hear you. There's indications. They, so I told her all about heaven and the glory of heaven and what it will be like to be with Jesus. And I encouraged her when she woke up, call upon the name of Jesus. But she never woke up while I was in there. And uh, again, I felt like I'd failed on a colossal level for her. And then uh, I thought she died the next day. Becky told me later, no, she died that very night. But here's the one thing I can say. I had been praying for destiny's salvation for years. And now I want to talk about that subject for just a little while with all of you. Praying for your loved ones. Praying for people that, in your family who are unsaved, maybe close friends, maybe neighbors, maybe coworkers, people you treasure, people you love, but like us in destiny, you don't know they're going to heaven. How do you pray for them? How do you pray for them? And that's what I'm going to really talk about tonight. Uh, many years ago, and let me start by saying this, Look, I'm just going to give you some, I'm just going to tell you how I've been praying, how I pray for my loved ones. I think there are people who are far, far better to speak on this subject than me, I'm sure. I'm sure there are books written on intercession that would be much better and more eloquent than what I'm going to say. I'm just going to tell you how I pray for my loved ones. So first of all, I remember uh, many years ago, Probably back in the 90s, I was at a revival here in Burleson. An evangelist was speaking, great evangelist named Randy Hogue. And I remember Randy Hogue challenging us to get a top 10 list. He said, you get 10 people who are unsaved and you start praying for them on your top 10 list. Now we're just going to call it a top 10 list because by no means do you need to limit it to 10 people. I've heard of people literally great prayer warriors who in the back of their Bible they have a list of hundreds of people that they pray for they cycle through and pray for those people I can't say I've ever been able to get my mind and heart around that many people at a time but I did totally take his challenge and establish a top 10 list and I've had that top 10 list since the 90s and uh, like you probably or in my case, most of my top 10 list was mostly family members that I began to pray for. Uh, and I'm not even going to stand up here tonight and say I prayed every day. There were days I didn't pray for my lost loved ones. But let me just say it, it's on my scope and I pray it regularly. I mean, sometimes I pray it for months and months, but I'm not going to say there aren't days when I'm praying and I, I don't get, I don't do the top 10 list, but it's something that I do regularly. You want to write it down at first? That's fine. Of course, after a very short time, you don't need to write it down anymore. So tonight I want to talk about praying your, for your lost one lo loved ones. I would encourage you to get a top 10 list and start there. Just start there. You may want to have a top 50 list and be more spiritual than me. That wouldn't be that hard. So first of all, let me just start with this concept 
We're going to read Romans 10, 1. This was what the Apostle Paul said. Romans 10, 1. Dear brother, now, Paul had more than a top 10 list. He loved Israel. <laughs> he prayed for everybody in Israel. He loved his Israel that much. But this is what Paul said. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. Let it be just totally straightforward. God, I'm praying for these people to be saved. I don't understand everything about how that can happen, but that's what I'm believing for. I'm believing for them to be saved. Amen. And what I love most, what I learned here from Paul is, it was not a casual maybe thing. Paul said, it's the longing of my heart. Do you have a longing in your heart for your loved ones to be saved? Amen. Do you have a longing in your heart for people you know, uh, friends, that, to be saved? Do you have that longing in your heart? Because that's what will help you pray all the time, every day, and not give up. Amen. I have to say, as a young believer, I got a longing in my heart for my dad to be saved. My dad was totally not saved when I became a Christian. And I prayed for him. Uh, uh, I don't know how to say it. I, I don't want to say diligently. I don't want to sound more spiritual than I am. But I prayed constantly for my dad to be saved. And it only took 25 years. How many of you know you can get discouraged in 25 years? And so what I want to say is, you got to get a longing in your heart to take you through those years, to take you through the time when you're praying for them to be saved. Let that longing just flow out of your heart like a river so that you miss a few days. Don't quit. Don't get discouraged. Just renew your effort and pray for your loved ones or your friends. Don't think for a minute that you are exempt. The Bible says in Ezekiel 22.30, and that's not going to be up on the screen, but Ezekiel 22.30, God says he's looking for people who will stand in the gap. And that, what that means, stand in the gap, is praying and interceding for lost people. Standing between them and God and praying, standing in the gap for them. So don't think that that's, oh, that's for other people. No, how, look. There's not a person in here I don't think that can raise your hand that can say, I don't know 10 lost people. We all know 10 lost people, don't we? Now one person, not, not lately, but one person on my top 10 list used to be the man in the street. I prayed every day for the man in the street. And the reason I did that is because I'm an evangelist and I'm traveling all over the world talking to people face to face about Jesus. So I'm praying for that man in the street that I meet today. That probably won't be on your list, but... We all know 10 people who need to be saved, amen, and who need to be prayed for. Let me just read uh, 1 Timothy 2, 1, uh, in verse 3 and 4. Paul, again, instructing, Paul says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people, asking God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and, uh, to and to come to understand the truth. Folks, there's not a person that you can pray for that God doesn't want to save. Look at 2 Peter 
uh, 3.9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. There's nobody you can pray for that you love more than God does. But you still need to pray for them. He said he urges you to pray for all people and to intercede on their behalf. It's part of your, your job as a Christian. That's part of your job is to pray for other people. You know, I think uh, about Noah a lot. And um, can you imagine Noah, if you could put those pictures up there, Heather. I used to, can you imagine the work that, went involved, that was involved in building the ark? I used to frame houses. I had an uncle who was a, a contractor, and he, he was the, he was the contractor, but he still framed them all himself, and I helped him. And he was my Uncle Ted, and I would, in the early days, I'd come back from a mission trip, and I'd frame two or three houses with my Uncle Ted to make some money, and I'd go back to the mission field. And uh, I worked with my Uncle Ted, and let me tell you, do you know how many boards are in a house? <laughs> and my Uncle Ted and I could start on the slab, and just he and I, and I think in about two weeks, we'd have a house completely framed out. I know a lot of crews move in, and they do it in a few days, but there's 15 or 20 of them. It was just me and Uncle Ted. He was the brains of the operation. <laughs> I mean, I handed him every board or helped cut every board we put in those houses. Can you imagine the ark? <laughs> the ark was bigger than an aircraft carrier. And Noah built that ark. I don't know who all helped. I believe his sons must have helped, his family. I don't think he had a bigger, a bigger crew than that much. But the years and years and years and decades it took Noah to build the ark. Woo! Praise the Lord for power saws and nail guns. Pop, 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 pop. Noah didn't have power saws or nail guns. Every, wood, every stick that had to be cut, they sawed by hand. But Noah built that ark for decades, decades. It took so long, all the work, more than 100 years actually, and he built that ark. Do you, can you imagine how discouraged you can get in the middle of a project that big? Can you imagine how tired you would get in a project that big? Can you imagine how you could lose your way in the middle of a project that big and just think, why am I doing it? It ain't even raining. And I'm building something bigger than an aircraft carrier by hand, out of wood. But there was a reason Noah did it. Look at this in Hebrews eleven seven. By faith, Noah... When warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Amen. Amen. And I imagine it that way. Every day that I'm praying for my family, every day I'm praying for my loved ones, I'm putting on a few more sticks of wood. 
Every day I'm praying for them. By faith, like Noah, I'm building an ark to save my family. A lot of work, a lot of time to be... uh, to get lost in the middle of the project, a lot of time to forget why you're doing it, but every day that you pray, put, make it as a duty in your heart. Every day you're doing it by faith. You are building an ark of salvation for your family. That's exactly the way I look at it when I approach it every, when I go pray. <clears throat> Acts 16.31, a desperate jailer had, been through a lot that night and now he's talking to Paul and he says and they replied and he asked them what can I do and they replied believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved along with everyone in your household amen Amen. claim that promise I say to God almost every day I don't want to go to heaven by myself God I'm so thankful for my salvation I'm so thankful for Jesus I'm so thankful for forgiveness but I don't want to go by myself God I want my household God I want my household and here are their names and I pray through my top 10 list I'm believing you God for my whole household to be in heaven someday with me And these are not hooked together very well. They're just random things. I don't pray all these every day. I pray different ways most days. But, you know, Jesus said to to pray for workers to be sent uh, into the harvest field. Well, first of all, he had compassion. He said he looked at the multitudes. He looked at the multitudes. His heart was full of compassion. They were sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. And this is what he said. Pray the Lord would send workers into the harvest. Any of your family members, any of your friends, any of your co-workers, lost sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless? Man. When I, look at a, when I look at the generation around me, I have never seen more lost and helpless people who don't know God's first name. So I believe that every Christian should pray this every day. I believe that with all my heart. Lord, send workers uh, into the harvest field. Have compassion on this generation, Lord. Have compassion on people that are harassed, they're helpless. Lord, they're sheep without a shepherd. Send workers. <clears throat> and I believe in praying big prayer. So I pray every day, Lord, send workers into the harvest field to the ends of the earth. Right. And then right after that, I said, Lord, send them to my family. Send them to these friends I'm praying for. Send them to, because it's not just my family on my list, but they're more, most of them on the list. But I have other friends and different things. And and don't get me wrong, sometimes I pray for my top 10 list, but then there's other times when I have other people on my scope, you know, a lot, and I pray for them for weeks or months, but I always come back to the top 10 list so I don't get lost in the whole thing. But anyway, Lord, send workers to them. To speak the words of eternal life. Because they're not just going to stumble into the kingdom. The Bible says, Jesus said, the first thing that has to happen is whoever hears my word will be translated from death to life. It's not an accident. Somebody's praying. And somebody goes. And somebody talks to people about Jesus. 
So pray that your family would be part of the harvest and that God would send workers to them. Now let's read a passage here in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 3, 4, and verse 6. You get a lot of insight when you read this passage. Again, Paul speaking, 2 Corinthians 4. It says, If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded their minds, blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. For God who said, let there be, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our, in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Folks, I don't know about you, it's easy sometimes. There may be people, especially your family members, you've talked to them about Jesus a lot. And you've invited them to church and they just seem dead. They don't respond because Jesus, here Paul said that Satan has blinded their eyes. He, the light of the gospel isn't shining into their heart because there's a veil between them and understanding these things. I remember when the convicting power of the Holy Spirit hit me as a teenager in a revival service. I remember that moment when the light came on. I could not get saved fast enough. And so when you're praying for your lost loved ones, pray in the name of Jesus, bind Satan who's blinding them. Break those powers, break those principalities, those demons who are blinding their eyes and pray, Lord, let the glorious light of the gospel shine into their heart and give them understanding of who Jesus is. Pray for that. Now here's something that I like to pray. Pray for complete transformation. Don't just pray that they'll squeak in maybe kind of maybe a little bit. And luckily get into heaven. Pray. The gospel is absolute total transformation. Amen? Amen. They need to be transformed. I, I, uh, I say this. Uh, I speak on this scripture a lot lately. It's just burning in my heart. But I pray it every day for my top 10 and sometimes others. Sometimes I have a top 15 list or a top 20 list. But... I regularly pray for my top 10. It's John 16, 8. Jesus said, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Of the coming judgment. You know, I pray that for my, the word convict means convince. Your lost loved ones are not saved because they're not convinced yet. But when the Holy Spirit convinces them, you won't be able to keep them off their knees. They'll be wanting to get saved and they'll be wanting to go to church. They'll be wanting to hear the word of God. But they've got to be convinced. And I pray this uh, virtually every day for my family and loved ones. Lord, convict them. Convince them of their sin. The Bible says their guilt in regard to sin. Of your righteousness and of judgment to come. Pray they're convicted, convinced of that. When they get convinced of that, they're going to get saved. Right. You know, I, I, um, I didn't really say it when I was talking about Noah, 
but you saw the picture with the people outside the ark in that water. The water's getting higher and higher, and they're panicking, and they're splashing, and then they're drowning. Don't worry. God's never going to judge the earth again by water. It'll be fire next time, the Bible says. But there's a judgment to come, and it'll be fire. And I'm a person... I'm a person who does not suffer from what psychologists call normalcy bias. I believe it could happen. And it's interesting, and fire, the world will be judged in fire next time. Uh, most people think that that will probably be some kind of thermal nuclear event. And right now, almost daily in the headlines, Vladimir Putin is threatening nuclear war, and he's a cornered bear. I'm not saying it'll happen tomorrow, I don't know, but I'm praying my family will be convicted, convinced of judgment to come. Amen. Okay, let's see. Total transformation, pray that they will hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's Matthew 5, 6, of course. God, no matter how unspiritual they seem, Lord, convince them of, give them hunger and thirst for righteousness. John 3, 3. Jesus said, very truly I tell you, no one will see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Pray for that absolute transformation. Lord, I pray they'll be born again. First right. Corinthians 15, 17, you, you know that. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. I don't just pray my, my loved ones will still be real worldly and maybe kind of carnal, but maybe somehow get some mercy. No, I pray they will be transformed into a complete new person in Jesus Christ. I don't want to leave any room for the devil to do his thing. And I love this one. I pray this one for myself. pray it for, my, for Becky. I pray it for my top ten list. 2 Timothy 4.18, Paul said, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. 2 Timothy 4.18, I don't just pray that maybe they'll mumble through a sinner's prayer. I pray they're going to walk on golden streets, Lord Jesus, in the new Jerusalem. That's right. I pray they're going to live forever in paradise with you despite every evil attack in between. And then I'm going to close this point with this one. How fervent should you pray? This is also about the total transformation and perhaps the fervency you should have in your prayers. The Galatian church was stumbling seriously and fouled up. You can get into all kinds of debate on whether they were ever in grace, had they fallen out of grace. I don't want to get into that debate. But you know what? Paul knew they were in very... Uh, spiritual danger, and this is what he said. Galatians 4.19 My dear children, for whom I am again in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, you know, I can't really go too far with this point because I never had a baby. Maybe we should have some women testify about this part. The pains of childbirth. What it takes to have a baby and to bring it into this world. And in prayer, in prayer, Paul said, my prayer is so intense for these people from the Galatian church that I am in the pain of childbirth. That's how intense his prayer life was. 
And now I want to close tonight talking about destiny's destiny. Becky and I went to the memorial service, and uh, it was we had lots of Kleenex handy, and it was very typical in the way it unfolded. They read the obituary, which was the most poignant thing in the world to hear. She survived by three boys under five. And they read the obituary. A few people got up and talked about how wonderful she was, and she was a sweet little person. They sang some songs, but nothing in what they said gave us any hope whatsoever that she was right with God. Normally, the way funerals are conducted, normally funerals and memorial services are conducted in such a way as to simply assume the person's in heaven the person is in heaven because they were what? Such a good person. Well, that's all fine and good, except it's the opposite of what the Bible teaches. The Bible says none are righteous. No, not one. The Bible says all of our righteous acts are filthy rags to God. People don't go to heaven because they're good enough. I don't care. You can go to a million funerals, and if that's what they're presenting to you, they're lying. You don't go to heaven because you're a good person. You go to heaven because you're forgiven and you repented and put your trust in Jesus. And there was another concern I had. Her adoptive parents had raised her uh, as a Catholic. Now, I'm not here to bash Catholics, and I know some of you are from that background. But, you know, I, I just, I got I to gotta tell the truth, though, folks. I've been, all, I've been in 24 countries of the world. I've talked to thousands of people. I've talked to I don't know how many Catholics. And I think, I think Catholicism is an impediment to people going to heaven instead of an encouragement. The reason I say that is because almost every time I talk to a Catholic, they are trusting in their, I'm a Catholic. They're trusting in, I'm a member of the Catholic Church, instead of trusting in the Savior, Jesus Christ. It's also not helpful that they've changed the Ten Commandments. Do you know that? Yes, they've changed the Ten Commandments. They took out number two that says you shall not bow down to any image. And they just erased that one and then they split the tenth into two so it still sounds like ten. I was concerned about that. But then something happened, something extraordinary, something beautiful that I've never seen in a funeral service and uh, I haven't seen it before. I don't know that I'll ever see it again. A lady stepped forward. Her name was Sharon. And what Sharon began to do was she began to testify and tell every detail of how destiny had found Jesus. Yeah. She told, I don't know how, but somehow someone had invited her and my little niece, no help from me, my little niece had stumbled into a, a sweet little uh, small town Baptist church and had, Sharon had taken her under her wing and had been instrumental in leading her to Jesus Christ, the Savior. Not just that, she went so far. She went so far, after a few months, she went to her dad. Now, I want you to think about how hard this would be for a person in their 20s, went to her adoptive dad and said, I love you, dad. I don't want to hurt your feeling, but I, I, I feel like I need to change churches. I need to leave the Catholic church, and I need to go to this Baptist church. And her dad said, well, okay, I'm going to give you my blessing. He later went on to say in the service, I'm born a Catholic, I'm going to die a Catholic, 
but I never seen so many people love my daughter the way these people did at this church. And he said, I never experienced anything like that in my religion. We should pray for him too, amen. What a big step for a little girl in her 20s. What courage. And what he told me was how serious and how genuine her faith was. And I love this part. Sharon began to testify. And Sharon, uh, who was Destiny's friend and much older, but led her to Jesus. She said, oh, how Destiny. She was so sorry for her sin. She was so sorry for her sin, and we had to really work through that. She acknowledged and she knew that she had lived in sexual immorality. And she was so sorry for her sin. That tells me how genuine her faith was. The older I get and the more serious I get, Lord, I want to be, when I present the gospel, it's important for me to present this. The Holy Spirit told me I have to do this from now on. If people are not sorry sorry for their sin, I really doubt they're saved. Paul said godly sorrow brings repentance and that's what leads to salvation. Godly sorrow. And this scripture, 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those that are His. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn from wickedness. I'm not saying you're saved by being good. I'm not saying that, that... you, you work your way in, but I know when you've turned from your wickedness, you're the real deal. Right. You're in it for the long haul. Another thing that Sharon said was that destiny had turned to God two full years before her cancer diagnosis. She had turned... To God two full years before. I'm not saying you can't get saved on your deathbed. I'm not saying you can't get saved uh, when you get sick. But that wasn't her motive. It just helped me to see the genuineness of her faith. She turned to Jesus. I just want to read one last scripture here. It says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show them they should always pray and never give up. I encourage you as you're praying for your family, your neighbors, your loved ones. Sometimes I stand in the middle of my backyard and I pray for the neighbors all around me. When you're praying for people, never give up. Keep praying. And I have to say, after we are, Becky and I were bawling, bawling, bawling out of sorrow, and then we heard that testimony, and then we're bawling, bawling, bawling out of joy. Our beautiful little destiny is in heaven for sure because of Jesus. Boy, when we got done with that service, Becky and I made a beeline for Sharon. Threw our arms around her and threw more tears, told her how much we appreciated her. Leading our little niece to Jesus, a worker. I didn't know when I was praying for workers, one of them would be named Sharon. God needs workers to talk to people, and you might be praying for them. I'm just going to pray right now and then I'm going to make a couple of announcements and then turn it back over to Pastor Mark. 
Oh, Father, I just call out to the name of Jesus, the merciful, merciful name of the Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray for our friends and our loved ones. We pray that they would be saved. Lord, I pray you put a longing in the heart of your people in this generation, in this day and time, in this church, in every genuine church, Lord. I pray, Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would put a longing in our heart a spirit, of, a spirit of intercession, a spirit of supplication come upon us that we would pray for people, Lord. Father, don't let us become weary in well-doing, but help us to continue to pray, Lord. Lord, put in our heart a top 10 list. Put in our heart people we should pray for constantly, Lord. I pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, I pray this church will be crowded more and more and more with our loved ones, God, as we pray for them and as they awaken from their slumber and call upon the name of Jesus to be saved. And I pray all these things, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.